It's a joy to, to preach today, but I have to admit, I always get really nervous. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the process of it. It's just, it's not something I, I do that, that often. But I am really excited to share in the Word together, to look at it closely, and to glean from it, to be changed by it. I'm going to start off with um, a personal story. It's a snapshot of being the little brother. Okay, I have two older sisters, Amy and Leslie. Uh, Leslie is six years older than me. Amy is nine years older than me. Um, and like all siblings, there sort of is a pecking order, <laughs> right? And I was at the bottom of it. Uh, and this showed up in a lot of ways. Um, one of them was our chores. So we all helped put dinner together. But being the littlest, um, my job was to set the table, Right? Um, and my mom would go so far as to take the plates from the cupboard and bring them over to the table so that I wouldn't break any one of them. But I just had to put them around, right? But my sisters had harder jobs like washing the dishes or maybe even helping with cooking when we were really little. We had jobs like, um, like I had to take out the trash, right? Uh, but I didn't have to take the trash to the street or even to the big trash can. I just had to take the little tiny bins, the ones that I could carry, to the side door so that my dad could put them in the big bin. But there was a clear difference in the types of chores that we were given. The next snapshot is um, when we would bake cookies with my mom, right? Maybe you have this too. Uh, when you're baking cookies, uh, this was kind of pre-KitchenAid, or maybe we didn't have KitchenAid, but we had to muscle in the stirring, Okay. And, uh, and we all took turns, but really, you didn't want me stirring because it just was so hard to get that butter into the flour. And it, and it was just more about my own participation <laughs> for what happened at the end. If these were sugar cookies, which most often time it was, you know, at the end of sugar cookies, there comes frosting, right? And with frosting comes who gets to lick the spoon and who gets to lick the bowl and who gets to lick the spatula. Is anybody else hearing what I'm saying? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, okay. And also, that was somewhat a bit of a point of contention. <laughs> well, I helped stir more. But we all got something. The other um, story is, uh, I grew up in Pasadena, California, okay? home of the Rose Bowl and Rose Parade. And I know those are dangerous words in Portland. But um, when we would go to the Rose Parade, it was, we, we've got it down to a science now, right? Like we wait for the stealth bomber to fly over and believe me, it like shakes every house in Pasadena. And then we know, okay, it's time to go. And we'd go and there's all throngs, throws of people like who had slept out in the night to see the parade or had bought tickets or whatever. And, and we show up and we're kind of at the back of the line, right? And be the youngest, my parents, it was more of a conversation of, of uh, okay, how, who, how are we going to hold the kids, like to get them over to see and so one year, uh, my parents got real, real creative. And I have a picture of this, actually. There we are. <laughs> and they brought a ladder. <laughs> and then it became, OK, who gets to sit on the ladder? And who gets to sit on the ladder the longest? Okay, you can take that down. There's uh, Mark circa 1980-something. But my, my point is this, my, 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 both my parents, um, 
They loved us all simply because they were, we were their children, okay? Um, they didn't show us favoritism, um, but they did relate to us individually. Um, and I recognize that this, is always, this always isn't the case in the world, right? Um, and this, this not showing favoritism. And in fact, it seems that our world has layers and layers and layers of favoritism. Oftentimes, I think it's the house of cards our society has built has been built on. And it's got many names, like racism, sexism, classism, discrimination, the idea of like the other, okay? It's who you know. It's like, it's everywhere. It's in work life. It's home life. It's even in the church. Right? It's that saying, Jesus loves you, but he likes me best. So I want to recognize that a lot of trauma and hurt and pain has been done because of favoritism. Similarly, I want to recognize, like you've heard today, that sometimes, especially on Mother's Day, that this might trigger some hurt, might amplify brokenness of a relationship in your life. But if you would let me, I'd like you to invite you to look deeper into Scripture for today, the Scripture that you heard, because I think you will encounter God whose character and kingdom doesn't have a pecking order, whose love is impartial and personal. And my prayer for you is that you will find healing and life and that we as a church can reflect the same healing and life in our community. So let's do it. Let's dig in. If you came in, maybe you got one of these. I'm going to call my sergeant of arms here, Zeke Dixon. Raise your hand if you did not get Psalm 98 printed. He will come around. Grab a pencil. You know I like visual learning. Um, and, and this is our main text for today that I, I, I'd like to be in. And part of it is this is like master level literature, storytelling, like incredible structure. And, and it just blew me away looking at it. So much so that I just was like, I just kept turning and turning. It's like, wow. Okay, as he's passing those out, let me tell you a little bit about Psalm 98. It is a collection, is in a collection of six psalms in the Psalter known as the enthronement songs. They celebrate God as king over humanity and creation. And they all start out similarly. Let us sing to the Lord. Psalm 98 differs, however, in that from the other enthronement songs because it incorporates instruments. I like that. I'm a musician. I get that. Yeah, we should have, you know, okay. No favorites. Okay, <clears throat> I remember what the, we're talking about here. But let's walk through this passage. So with pencils in hand, Friends, let's look at this. Thanks, Zeke. Okay, sing to the Lord a new song. Okay, something you need to know. When the psalmists use this phrase, oftentimes it's, it's that it's actually about God. It's not a new song that the people sing. It's, it's in reference to something new about God or something that God has done again. That is new, okay? For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm, 
The imagery here is this is the hand of blessing, the hand that gives. Have worked salvation for him. Is what, salvation is what the NIV says. I think NRSV says victory. So if you were in the Spark Bible today, I believe that's what it said. And I want you to know, just down the way, it says salvation three times. Okay? So the storyteller, the psalmist is trying to say, this is really important. Salvation and victory. In the Hebrew, the words associated with it are set free and deliver. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed. That revealed word is initiated. His righteousness. Say his righteousness. Oh, come on, let's try that. I know, we're not that type of a church. Let's, let's be that church today, though. His righteousness. There we go. There's a reason why it's bold, and we'll come back to the end. Righteousness is simply to do the right thing. Okay? His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. And this was the, the, the bringing in Israel is that it's recalling the covenant that God made with Abraham. Okay? But the, the, the imagery is, is calling to mind to the, the listener and the reader. That covenant was not meant to just stay there. It was meant to go somewhere. Okay? And where does it go? All the ends of the earth say the earth. The earth. The earth. There we go. Have seen the salvation of our God. Okay. Now, something I would like for you to know in this, I've, I've kind of like cut this whole thing apart for you. Oh, I should, I failed to mention. If you are online and you're wondering what we're looking at, there's a link. First thing in the description, click on it. You'll have what we're looking at. This first column, all these things have to do with God. They're all about him. Okay? Let's go to the next column over. Shout for joy to the Lord. Let me hear you say, shout for joy to the Lord. That word shout in Hebrew is ruah. Maybe you've heard at the Timbers army, ruah, ruah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like that is that shout. It is this belly loud noise of ruah. That's right. Thank you, Zeke. I love it. All the earth burst into jubilant. You know what I'm saying. Song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. I'm pause on harp here, and if you'd like to, you can make another note. The harp here is really interesting. Harp here is very interesting. Um, it it sometimes is translated lyre. Uh, it's kind of encompasses all stringed instruments, but the imagery around it is that they can be tuned that they can be tuned, okay? The other imagery around it that we see, especially in the Psalms, is that they are um, uh, welcoming the Spirit of God. That's their place in worship. They're welcoming the Spirit of God. So with the harp and the sound of singing, notice it doesn't say the act of singing, but the sound of singing. The sound, the breath. The sound of our voice that's in the space between us. 
the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Horn. Again, here's another like really rich image. A ram's horn, known as a shafar. There's three instances that I'd like to kind of bring you to, like why this image is significant. The first place that we see this in the Bible is when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And if you remember in the story, at the very end of it, the angel comes and stops him. And at the same moment, a ram's horn, a ram and is stuck in the thicket with its horns. And so it's relating to Isaac's being saved, this delivering act, this substitution act. The next place that we see it, uh, ironically, is in Exodus 19, where I preached, what I preached from last October. <laughs> um, so I thought that was really funny. And, and if you remember in that scenario, this was the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and um, they come to Mount Moriah and they are asked to clean themselves and then wait until they hear the blast of the ram's horn to go up to the mountain. And in some way, it was, it was sort of like the great leveler or equalizer, right? Like it's, it said, okay, there's no, like nobody gets first dibs on going up the mountain. And it's like, wait till you hear this and then everybody can go. That's the next one. Okay, I forgot the third, and I didn't have... I'm, I'm going no notes. I'm trying to go no notes today. So, but what the ram's horn recognize, like, symbolizes is that... Oh, I know what it was. <clears throat> Sometimes it's used before like, uh, like a huge celebration or also going into battle, Okay. And it's really meant to like march or boldly live unafraid to contend with your brokenness. So like it was used before, um, like, in, so like in Exodus 19, it was used to contend with your own brokenness, like the cleansing process, but to also do so for the sake of others. Okay, so that's the ram's horn. Okay, what I want you to recognize in this column is that this whole column here, right, is all about people. All about people. So we had God and we had people. Okay, then it goes to the next column. Okay. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge, say, the earth. The earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. When I first read this, to study it for the sermon, that last line, with equity, really caught my attention. And I thought, oh, that was so fascinating. What is that about? You see, in the ancient world, like justice was rare, okay? And it's still true sometimes today, right? But the, the idea of God having equity was relief to those who have been oppressed, right? Okay, 
This last column, if you notice it, the imagery is all about creation. It's kind of this worldview, this, this world. Um, we have the sea, we have the rivers. If you notice, like, there's kind of that first sentence that I put in there, the sea and then the world, and then you see again, it's kind of duplicated, the rivers and the mountains, kind of like the water and the land. Okay? Here's the other crazy thing about this. Like, I've like divvied up to try to make it like as plain and simple as possible. But if you look at the top, it's almost like each song starts the same. Sing to the Lord a new song. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Right? So is this this like widening of this song, this movement of the song that starts with God and goes. The next one down, right, he has, uh, his right hand and his holy arm, these are like the instruments of God. And the next one over, we see the harp and the sound of singing, the instruments of people. And then we see in the next one, the rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing for joy. The instruments of creation. And we have this down at the bottom, Okay. This idea, this covenant idea that starts with Israel that grows to the ends of the earth. And then we have the whole imagery of the ram's horn we talked about. And then we are left with this image of God's equity. So there's this like crazy structure to this psalm that's like beautiful and masterful. Here's the other thing. When I made you say those words, um... I've bolded them. What you've noticed that there's actually a pattern. Okay? And this happens a lot in the Psalms. It's called the chiastic pattern. Sometimes it's called a chasm. And it's, and it's like the phrase, like when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. And, and it's what it's meant to do is to kind of sweep over an idea and sweep back through. And as you do, you get to see kind of different sides of it. Okay? And so it has some like accents, like in music, like an accent note. And the accents here all have to deal with, this is the song of salvation. And this is how the song of salvation looks as it moves from people to the ends of the earth. And the song is circling around the idea that God will judge with equity. And that equity is a relief to those who hear it. And it is calling us to be in tune with that, like the harp, and to let our, our song, the sound of singing, reflect the lives that we live. Right? Like uh, the reformer Martin Luther would say this, show me how you live and I'll tell you what you worship. So here we have this beautiful crazy, masterful story calling us to boldly live, unafraid and contend with our brokenness, bravely and faithfully retuning to God so that others might come to know the same love that we've received. Okay, this idea of God, uh, that God judges with equity, I want to just pause for a moment. I want to give you others' examples throughout the Bible because this is where it sort of blew my mind. You have the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Jacob and Esau, the story of Joseph, the Exodus event, the story of Ruth, Hosea, 
Amos, right? The people had lost the concept of caring for one another, and Amos rebuked them. This is the creator of the universe picking Joseph and Mary to be Jesus's parents. This is the, Jesus calling fishermen of all people to be the disciples that would go and change the world. This is the feeding of the 5,000, the good Samaritan, the woman at the well, the parable of the vineyard and the workers, the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep, the parable of the persistent widow. This is Jesus and the little children. This is Jesus healing the blind man in Luke 18, the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the great banquet, the parable of the unmerciful servant, the resurrection story, the resurrection story, where the women are the first to receive the greatest story in the history of the world. This idea that, that God judges with equity is like everywhere. And it is a central characteristic of God. And as the psalmist puts it, it is like the highest praise. We are so inundated with praise because God is like this. Amen? So God's equity is central to his character and it is a reflection of his love to the ends of the earth and everything that it encompasses. Psalm 98. It is the message that God's character doesn't show favoritism, but uses the song of salvation as an invitation to righteousness. You see, it's an example of his love, his impartial, equitable judgment, and his personal relationship with creation. It's the message that the kingdom of God doesn't have a pecking order. Because this is the character of God, it is, of course, of course, the reason that the people of God are called to reflect it. And this is the pivotal point to our other lectionary text that you heard today in John 15, right? That the, John 15 is an allegory of being in union with God, right? Let's just get into the, the, um, the imagery, John 15 starts off with, I am the vine, you are the branches. You heard that last week? Kids, you are coloring literally like that right now. The vine and the grafted branches are an image of an invitational God. Okay, it's an invitational God. How beautiful is this imagery that it is the breaking of the vine that lifeless sticks can once again grow leaves and have life flow through them. This is the message of the cross. Jesus broken for us, the salvation song of God. It goes on to say, so love one another. And when the going gets tough and the tough gets going, because it will, expect it. Tune your heart to sing God's praise. Invite the Holy Spirit into the troubles, into the mess, into the trauma and the hurt and the lifeless parts that need revival. And then as John says, he calls us to remain. Because when you remain, you are connected to the source, the creator of the universe, the one whose breath created all that we know, the one who invites us into the abundant life, a life full of love. Because when you remain, you are able to give freely, generously, without abandon, because God never runs out of love, never runs out of joy, never runs out of peace, never runs out of patience, never runs out of kindness, never runs out of goodness. 
And this is why John 15 says, remain in me as I am in the Father, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So remain. And we're called to love one another. Jesus is God's love for the world. And when you are in union with Jesus, you join him on mission to reveal God's love in a widening circle, like the psalmist taught us. There's this beautiful imagery in the book of Revelation. I think it's chapter 18, but don't quote me on that. And it's the tree of life. And it says that the leaves of the tree of life are meant for healing for the nations. The leaves. You see how that plays a part? This kind of growing allegory of God's kingdom. Friends, the world needs to hear the sweet sound of heaven, a community of Jesus followers boldly living, unafraid to contend with our own brokenness, faithfully in tune with God, willing to retune, be a place of refuge and a space for those that have been hurt by the meaningless, human-made favoritism of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you humbly. We invite your spirit to dwell in our hearts, to tune us to you, align our heart, mind, soul, strength. Lord, we long to remain with you. May you use us as your instruments of love in the world. In your name, amen.